Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 this morning. Here's God's word. It says, When the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the Lord of built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. They burnt offerings morning and evening, and they kept the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and all the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for inspiring and preserving your word for us. We, we thank you for this chapter, and we pray that as we um, dive into it this morning, that... Um, that you will teach us and you will grow us in your grace. We do truly stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and we do wonder how he could love us. We are so thankful for the gospel of your Son. It's in his name we pray all this. Amen. Um, one of the first things I do every morning, which which is a sort of breaking one of my rules, I'm... I, I'm trying. I have a, I have a ongoing, I have an ongoing um, battle with my cell phone. I'm trying to not be too attached to my cell phone. I'm trying not to spend too much time on my cell phone. Um, I'm trying to, you know, just not be addicted, right? And so, 
one of my rules is that I, is that I don't want to, I don't want to have my cell phone be the first thing I check every morning. I want to, you know, just do other good things first and then check my phone eventually. But since my daughter Maribeth has been in uh, Malawi on a mission trip um, uh, uh, this past, yeah, this is her last week, so it's a month-long mission trip. She's got about a week left. But since she's been in Malawi, one of the first things I do every morning is check my phone because they're six hours ahead of us. And so by, if I'm checking it at like at 6 a.m., it's noon there. They've already started with their day. I'm interested in what messages, what things have happened, making sure that she is safe, et cetera, and seeing how her day is going. Um, she, so sometimes, so she'll, she'll go to bed um, and it's, you know, it's like, I don't know, evening time for us, three, four, five o'clock, whatever, for us, and, uh, and sometimes she'll end her last message to be, will be like, yeah, we got pulled over today, he, 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 I'll tell you about that later, and then, <laughs> and then we don't hear anything else, you know, and that's, um, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, and, and, and every once in a while she, she'll just send us a picture of her latest injury that she has over there, and, um, and so I am interested when I wake up in the morning to just check and see what's happening. And uh, um, what we do first shows what's most important to us. When I come to work on Tuesday or Wednesday, Thursday, whatever, uh, whatever day it is, I come to work and, I, and, and I've got some stuff I want to get done that day at the office, I'm going to do the things that I, I definitely, absolutely want to get done. The things that are most important to me, I'm going to put my attention on them first. This is how we are. This is how humans operate. The things that are most important to us are the things that we, we, we do first. As we look at a couple of things that the, that the children of Israel, it says in verse 1, the, the, the people of God, when we look at a couple of things that the children of Israel do first in these verses... We, we see what their priorities were, and, and this helps us to, to see what kind of priorities we should have for our own lives, actually. There's a, this, this is a really good example to us. Not every chapter in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are going to be a wonderful example to us, but this one is. This one for sure is. This, um, they, they give us a really good example. They show us a couple of things. They do a couple of things here. Um, that we want to look at. First, we're going to see that they build an altar for the sake of national security. That's part one of our sermon this morning. They build an altar for the sake of national security. Verse 3 is a very interesting verse, right? So they've all come as one man to Jerusalem, and they're all there to worship the Lord. And in verse 3 says, they set the altar in its place. Why? For fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. So, so they, are, they, they are afraid of the peoples of the lands. If you've been tracking the story with us, you know that, that well, for one thing, the people of Judah, are, they, they had been cap- captured and conquered and, and exiled, right? But then Cyrus... Their, their, their pagan emperor, the, the emperor of Persia, had allowed them to go back to Judah, which is a glorious thing. 
but there's only about 50,000 of them, right? There's only about 50,000 of them. They don't really have a, they, I mean, they absolutely don't have a, a militia or an army. They're, they're, they're very vulnerable. It's, it's, it's pretty scary to go back to Judah because they're there and, they're, and, and they've, got their, they've got their family's land back, right? So they're, they're back in their sort of ancestral homes and, and, and they're rebuilding their lives in Judah, but they're surrounded by these peoples. And I think we can all imagine, right? I think we can all imagine if, if the government decided... That, they, that, they, that if the government decided they were going to clear out this whole big um, uh, patch of land in Kosciuszko County in northern Indiana and just give it to people. Just, there's, this, there's this group of people, they're just going to move in, we're just going to give them this land. That's what Cyrus did. That's what Cyrus did. And so you have to imagine that the neighbors didn't love this. The neighbors might have had plans for that land. The niggers might have been thinking, you know, actually, I, I wanted that. What is going on here? And so there's a little bit of hostility, we can imagine. But there's also just some hostility anyhow. There's some hostility anyhow. And so the, the people of Judah, they're, they're getting their lives going. They're, they're getting their houses set up. And now all of them, as one man, are going to Jerusalem to worship and Fear is on them because of the peoples of the lands. Now here we see their wonderful example. Because what do the people of God do? They're they're concerned, they're worried, they're afraid because their neighbors might very well be hostile. The neighbors are kind of looking at them in hostile ways. What do the people do? They have national security concerns. First thing they do is they build an altar to the Lord. They don't build any walls. That's not going to happen until the book of Nehemiah. They don't build a standing militia. They don't form any alliances with pagan kings. They don't even petition Cyrus, who kind of liked them, to help them out. They're afraid of the people around them, so what do they do? They turn to the Lord. The first thing they do, we see over and over and over here, is they offer sacrifices for their sins. They, they, they know, at least at this point now, they know that the, that the thing they really need to worry about, their greatest enemy, is their own sin. What, what they truly need is they need a right relationship with God. They need, to, they need to have their sins forgiven by God. They need to be able to, to stand before God. They need to be able to worship God. The first big thing they need to take care of is their sin. It's not the enemies around them. It's their sin. So they offer sacrifices for their sins. And then they, and then they offer worship to the Lord. It's very fascinating. They, they keep the festival of booths. The festival of booths. What is that all about? Well, that's, the, that's, that's, that's where they, they all live in tents for a week. They, they, all the people of Israel... They, they, they live in tents for a week. They don't live in their, their houses. They live in tents. And why do they do this? Because they're, they're remembering back to the time in the wilderness. There was a long patch of their history where they had to live in tents. They were, they were traveling through the wilderness and they had to live in tents. And so, and so this is their way of remembering that when they lived in tents in the wilderness, it was God who protected them. It was God who provided for them. It was God who cared for them. 
God took care of them while they were traveling through the wilderness, while they were living in tents. And so this is the way they kind of remember that. They, they all live in tents for a week to, to kind of prove, to kind of say together, God is the one we need. God is the one who protects us. God is the one who provides for us. It's not our houses. It's not our lands. It's not our standing army. It's not our strong walls. It's not our alliances. It's not any of that. It is God who provides for us. He is the one who gives us our daily bread. God is the one we need. And so this festival of boots, they were to do it the seventh month every year. And it was their way to remember God is the one who takes care of them. Now it seems like in this chapter, it seems like the, the, the people have learned their lesson, right? Because if you go back and you read through like Second Chronicles and, and you read through um, some of the prophets like Ezekiel and, and, you, 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 and, and Jeremiah, you read through how the people responded earlier, but the, the reasons they were actually captured and conquered and taken in exile, the, the reason they were disciplined by God, you, you look back and you see when they were afraid before, they didn't turn to God. When they were afraid of, of foreign enemies earlier, they turned to like pagan alliances, they turned to false gods, they, they turned to like a, their own standing army. They, they turned anywhere and everywhere but God. It seems here that they've learned their lesson. They are a really good example to us. Uh, because here's the deal for you and for me. If, if you are going to, if I'm going to honor God, if we're going to obey His Word, if we're going to live for God... Fear is going to fall upon us. Fear is going to fall upon us. We are going to, we are going to risk being embarrassed. We are going to risk um, being misunderstood. We are going to risk missing out. We are going to, be, we're going to risk being rejected by people. Like you, if, you're going to, if you're going to live according to the truth of God's word, if you're going to commit yourself to that, you're going to find that your relationships are, are strained. You're going to find that people don't understand you or don't like you. You're going to miss out. You're just... Uh, you're, you're going to have this sort of fear of man that you carry along around with you. It's not bad for that fear to fall upon you. It's very important, though, what you do when that fear falls upon you. These people show us. We are to rest in the gospel. We're to, we're to remember that God alone forgives our sins. Our, our big tyrant is not anyone else. It's it's our sin, and we're to remember God is the one who forgives us. So we run to him for mercy. We, we, we relish, we rejoice in the fact that he has saved us, and then we turn to him in worship. We turn to him in trust and obedience. These, these people showed us, because in verse 2, they said they built the altar as it is written in the law of Moses. Verses 4 and 5 are full of Scripture. As it is written, according to the rule, as each day required, appointed feasts of the Lord... So the, these people turned to Scripture. They said, we are going to worship God and we're going to do it properly. We're going to do it the way the Word tells us to. What do we do when we're afraid? We turn to the, to the Lord. We rejoice that He has forgiven us. We find mercy in Jesus Christ. We confess any kind of known sin. We take care of that first. And we worship Him. We, we live lives that prove that He is the one that we are banking on. He is the one we are resting in. He is the one who provides for us. When we are threatened, what we do first 
shows what's most important to us. Where do you run when you are anxious, when you are worried, when you are nervous, when you are afraid? Where do you run? How do you medicate? Let's find our security in God. Because that's part one of our sermon. They build an altar for the sake of national security. Part two, they sing worship songs at a construction site. So neither one of these things make a lot of sense if you're just looking for how to be a smart nation, right? How to, how to be smart, how to be logical. Neither one of these things make a lot of sense right off the bat. They sing worship songs at a construction site. So, so they've come to Jerusalem as one man. It's the seventh month. They're, they're, they have their festival of booths. They have their offerings. They have, the, they have the altar of the Lord in its place. But then the end of verse 6 says, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they're there. They've got the altar. They, they know where to put the altar, but the foundation is not laid. It's still a mess there. It's still a mess. So they, wanna, they, they, they want to get the foundation for the temple laid. Not the walls built, not the ceiling put on, uh, but the, they, want, they just want the foundation. Uh, verse 7 says, so they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, food and drink and oil to the Sidonians. So they're, they're, this is actually a lot of what Solomon did in Second Chronicles. It's very similar to how he got the, the first temple built. The people he employed um, to do that. The, the, the materials that he bought, traded for. Very similar. And then, verse 8, now in the second year, after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, and it's, they probably chose the second month to do this because that's when the, the rainy season is over, dry season starts, it's a good time to start building. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, their priests, and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. So they're all there. Everyone's there, and they're working on this. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. So in the, in the book of Numbers, it's like 30 years old. They're, they're the supervisors. Um, here, 20 years old. Um, I think it's just because we have a shortage of Levites. So we, have our, we sort of have our foremen. We have the people making sure that the temple is being built according to specifications. Making sure they're doing things properly. Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the, house, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God. And then, verse 10, and when the builders laid the foundation of the Lord, this is interesting, when the builders laid the foundation of the, world, the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets. The Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals. They start to sing right there to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. I, I was in, um, when we were planting a church um, south of Boston, we had a group come up from, I think, North Carolina. And, they, and it was like a group, and they, they could all sing. They, could, they were all just really, really good singers. And, and we, were at, we were touring Boston, and we were checking out this old, old church. And so they asked the tour guide if they could just sing. And so they sang hymns in this beautiful old church building. And it was just like, it was like perfect. You know, you're just like, man, this sounds so 
good. It's this, it's this 400-year-old church. It's these beautiful voices. It is just perfect. It's the opposite in Ezra chapter 3. They are literally standing in the construction site. They have the foundation and they have nothing else. There's rubble everywhere. There is ruin everywhere. There's rebar and, 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 and hard hats and don't go in there. This is a construction site and they're just singing. They got the cymbals. They got the trumpets. They are praising the Lord and they are singing. Why? Because, because even though they're standing in a mess, even though this project is far from over, they can clearly see that God has gotten them thus far. God has brought them to their homeland. God has given them Jerusalem back. God has begun this good work among them. God is indeed keeping his promises. So when they think of all the promises that God has kept, what do they sing? They sing, he is good, his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. So not only are they looking back, but they're looking forward too. They're saying, they're saying his, love is, his, his love has endured till now, and his love is going to endure forever. God has gotten us here. God is going to finish what he has started. He is going to continue to bless. He is going to continue to provide. His steadfast love endures forever. Now, we see a couple of, or, or some of them, some of them have trouble with that, right? Verse 12, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, they remembered Solomon's original temple. That was the good one. That was the good one. That one was nice. That one was nice. They wept aloud. They wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. These guys can tell. They're, they're old enough to remember this, the temple of Solomon, the, the one that he built, and they're looking at this. They, 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 even, though, even though it's nothing about the foundation, they know this, this ain't going to be anything like that one. That one was nice. This one is, this one is going to pale in comparison. They can, they can tell just by the foundation Ain't going to be as good. So this is, a, this is a problem because this is kind of the first time in this chapter where they're not doing something as one man. They, they've come to Jerusalem as one man. They've laid the foundation as one man. They've had unity. They've, they've been together. They've been excited. But now they're singing different songs, aren't they? There's some that are shouting for joy and then there's others that are, that are loudly weeping because it's not going to be as good. And, and this is a little bit of a warning. We're, we're going to, in a couple of weeks we're going to see Haggai and Zechariah, they have some pushback against this kind of attitude. They're going to say, don't despise the things that you think aren't that great. Don't despise the day of small things. There's a, there's a little bit of a, a bad attitude creeping in here. It's going to have to get rooted out in the next few chapters. There's, there's a warning and there's encouragement to us because in, in most of these people, we see this wonderful example. They, yes, they're standing in a mess, but they see the mess properly. And so we can, we can apply this to our own lives, can't we? We can take kind of New Testament truth and we can, we can apply this to our own lives because here's the thing, you're a mess. I don't know if anybody's not, maybe nobody's told you this lately. Let me just be a person to kind of bring the truth you're a mess. You are a work in progress. 
You are under construction. And, yes, so am I. We are, we are not finished products. Maybe you haven't been made aware of that. You're welcome. You're a mess. You're a mess. Some of us are too aware of this. Some of us are way too aware of this. And some of us are so aware of all the stuff we want to fix in our lives, all the things we want to get better at, that we never stop to praise God for all that he's already done. These people are praising God, not because they're finished products, but because it is clear that God has gotten them thus far and God is going to get them home. I, I can... Like you, I can kind of obsess over all the things I want to be better at. I, I not only want to, I need to grow in patience. I need to grow in humility. I need to grow in faithfulness. I need to grow. I, 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 I look around at my life and I can absolutely see, yes, the foundation has been laid. But there's rubble. There's... there's, there's unfinished work. We can see that in our own lives. This passage is reminding us that in the midst of that, is it good to continue to to press forward? Is it good to continue to fight against sin? To to get better? Absolutely. 100%. It's also good to stop and to, to worship God now. Let's not be the kind of People who say, I am going to really love and worship and praise God once I'm a finished product. Once I get a lot of these kinds of issues taken care of, once I'm more presentable, once I get myself cleaned up, once there's not so many hard hats and, and, and warning, lines, warning tape, once, once, it, once it looks prettier, then I'm going to really worship God. Now, worship God now. Because here's the... Here's the truth. Um, <laughs> he, could have, he could have left you buried under that rubble. Let's think of the sins that not only has he forgiven, but the sins that he's already given you victory over. No, you're not as good as you're going to be. But if you are in Christ, you are better than you used to be. You are way better than you used to be. And it's okay to say that because that's not about you. This is about the work that God has done. This is, this is it's, it's proof. Be okay with the fact that we have proof right here in our own life. I can look back and I can say, you know what? I'm, not, I'm nowhere near the husband, father, pastor, Christian that I want to be now, but I'm not where I was five years ago. And it's good to say that because, because I, can, I can see that as proof that God's God's love to me endures forever. That he has got me safe thus far and he will get me home. He will present me faultless before the throne. He's going to do it. So we worship him now. We praise him now. We love and trust and serve and obey him now. These these children of Israel are a wonderful example to us. They're a wonderful example to us. When the seventh month came, verse 1 says, the children of Israel were in towns. The people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. They left their houses. 
They looked nervously at their new neighbors and they gathered as one man to Jerusalem in order to trust God, in order to worship God, in order to obey God. According to his word, they gathered as one man to Jerusalem. So we are thankful for their example. But we are, of course, far more thankful for Jesus, aren't we? Jesus also came as one man to Jerusalem. Only he came as as literally one man. They had strength in numbers. They had strength in unity. Jesus was by himself. And he faced threats far worse than what they faced. Jesus faced threats not only from outside Israel, but from within Israel. And what did Jesus do when he was threatened? 1 Peter chapter 2 says, He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is the premier example. He is the prime example. What did he do when he was was threatened? He continued to entrust himself to his Father's care. But of course, like we say often, Jesus is far, far more than just an example. He is our salvation as well. Because the next verse in 1 Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. We needed someone to bear our sins in their body on the tree. We needed Christ to pay for our Sins, because, because what we know is our core sin, we, we don't trust God. We don't love God. We don't worship God. We don't obey God. We trade Him for anything and everything going. Our core sin, at the end of the day, is we do not worship God. And so Christ bore our sins in His body. He paid for every single one of our failings. He paid for every single one of our sins. So He's far more than just an example. He's our Savior. But he's, he's, He even saves us from more than just the penalty of sin, though. Doesn't He? Because First Peter goes on and says that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He Himself bore our sin in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So now you can trust God. Now you can more and more and more. When you are threatened, when you are worried, when you are anxious, you can entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Now you can see the sort of the, 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 the mess that you are. You can see it properly. You can see, yes, there's tons of stuff I want to work on. Yes, there's tons of stuff I want to work on. There's, there's tons of ways I need to grow. Absolutely. But look at what God has already done. Look at what he's already done. He could have left me buried under there. He dug me out. He put my feet on solid ground. Isn't this proof that he's going to get me home? Now we can think properly. We can, we can worship God appropriately. We can die to sin and live to righteousness because by his wounds, 1 Peter says, you have been healed. So 
So yes, I am a construction site. And, and, if you, and if you just look at me from a distance, I'm not too dangerous, but just ask my family, the closer you get, the more hazardous I become. I have issues. I have issues. And, and, the, and the, the, the foundation was laid, but the walls weren't up, and, the, and the, the roof wasn't on. The people are praising God anyway. We praise God anyway because Colossians 1 says, God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And, and, and in His Son, in Jesus, we have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. By Him, all things were created. But by Him, all things hold together. He is before all things. Everything is, is, is from Him and through Him and to His glory. He is the fullness of God, and He has reconciled all things to Himself. And then Colossians 1 goes on to say that that Christ is in you. He's in you. The hope of glory. And so this is why when Paul says at the end of the chapter, he is working powerfully in us, we can rejoice. That's the, that is the Christ that is working powerfully in us. The image of the, he's, the, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the fullness of God. He's the, he's the head of all things. Through him, all things hold together. And now he is, he is in us, working powerfully. So, so one day... He will present you faultless before the throne. Are you going to have some apologies to make between now and then? Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm a work, I'm, I'm a work in progress. I'm sorry. I snapped. That was stupid. I'm sorry I lost my patience. That was dumb. I'm sorry. So yes. Yes, and you're going to get afraid. And your, your strong temptation is going to be to... Uh, to self-medicate somehow when you're afraid. You're, you're going you're gonna to want to maybe turn to self-righteousness. Well, at least I'm not as bad as those people. Or at least I got a bunch of money in the bank. Or at least I still have my health. We're, when, when, we, when we face the fear of man, we're tempted to think in all kinds of silly ways. Turn our disgust on someone else. Or live in bitterness or envy. Or worry. Or greed. We don't have to do that. We can entrust ourselves to Him who judges justly. And, and we, can look, we can look rationally and logically and properly at, at the construction site that we are. And we can say, I am confident that the one who started this good work, the one who laid this foundation, the one who started this good work is going to present me faultless before the throne. So now is the time to trust God. Now is the time to worship God. Because Jesus Christ is, is the one man who came to Jerusalem to save us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Ezra. We thank you for the, just the wonderful example of these people. We thank you for their courage. It's hard for us to even kind of imagine what it would have been like for them. But we thank you for their courage, their determination um, to honor you to come and to worship you. 
um, to, to, to build the altar, put the altar in its proper place, and to, and to get the, the, the festivals going, to get the, the worship calendar going, to get the offerings going, to, to reorient themselves around your mercy and around your glory and around your word. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for the good example. And we are, of course, also um, very aware that we need, we need much more than a good example. We needed a Savior. So we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who was the supreme example and, and is our Savior. We thank you that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die sin and live to righteousness. We pray that you would continue to point out the ways that we are just, we need, we, we need work. Please continue to point out the ways that we need work. Continue to grow us in your grace. Please continue to sanctify us. But then also, God, help us to be thankful. Help us to be joyful. Help us to see that you have gotten us safe thus far, and you are going to get us home, that we are going to one day be presented faultless before the throne. Help us to live with that end in mind for your glory. Thank you for Jesus Christ. The one man came to Jerusalem to save us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.